0: We're continuing our series from a couple of weeks ago on Into the World. In fact, I don't think we can truly understand Into the World without taking a look at one of the most fundamental verses in Scripture, John 3.16. I've listened to several sermons down through the years, preached lots of sermons myself, and I haven't heard too many sermons on John 3.16. And yet it is the foundational verse for understanding God sending His Son into the world. So let's, let's read this together. John 3.16, would you read it with me? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're going to read it one more time, and I want to ask you to begin to commit this verse to memory over the next couple of weeks. If you haven't memorized this verse, I want you to, to begin that process. As you read it with me, just, just begin to commit it to memory. Let's, let's read it one more time. John three sixteen. Can we bring it back up? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Today I've titled the message, For God So Loved the World. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son into the world. Today may this scripture become life-changing. Help us to commit it to memory. Help us to understand it and to activate it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. You know, John 3.16 is uh, so important in my life because it was the verse that I used to lead my first person to Christ. I was about 10 years of age and decided to invite my best friend Ray over to my house and I decided I was going to ask him to believe and receive Jesus. And so he came over, I had it all worked out. Back then I had a record player. Does anybody know what a record player is? Yeah, and I had this record that I put on, which was an old song, song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I began playing that record. He came up to my room, and I started sharing with him the meaning of John 3.16 that God loved us so much that he sent his son, that if we'll just believe in him, we'll not perish, but have everlasting life. And right there in my bedroom, Ray and I knelt down by my bed, and he invited Jesus into his life. And for the next couple of years, he started attending church, was involved in our Bible quiz program, started learning the Bible And his life, I believe, was forever changed from that moment on. And there's something profound when we begin to look at this verse and just chew on it phrase by phrase and understand each phrase, the first phrase, for God so loved the world. And even beginning with the first two words, for God, because of God, I know you understand, as I do, that God is the beginning. He's the beginning line. He's the starting line. I know sometimes we think we are, that we're the center of the universe, but the reality is God is the beginning. He's the center of the universe. Perhaps you've heard the cryptic cliche that Chevy Chase used, hello, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Well, I think sometimes we need to be reminded of, hello, I'm God and you're not. God needs to remind us of that, that he's infinite, that he's the center of the universe, and that he's personal, that he didn't just create the world and set it spinning on its axis and then go out to coffee, but that he's personal, that we don't call him on the phone and get his answering machine, that we can stay in constant contact with God. For God so loved the world. Francis Schaeffer made this statement that he is a God who is there and not silent. One of the familiar verses in the Old Testament, which I love as well, is Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Some of you know that verse. It says, God says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. I love that verse. But do you know what the next two verses say? I think the next two verses are even as profound and powerful as verse 11. Would you read it with me? Then you will call upon me, verse 12, and I will listen to you, everyone together, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. These are the two verses I used when I was invited to go and spend some time with a group of atheists and agnostics. This group was known as the Freethinkers, and so they googled me. I don't I don't know how you would Google me, but they they Googled me and decided that I was the one they wanted to invite to come and talk to them about the existence of God. Of course, atheists don't believe in the existence of God, and agnostics claim they don't believe in the existence of God while keeping the door open in case God chooses to show up. So there were about 25 or 30 people there when... I arrived. I, I knew I had to brush up on my apologetics a little bit. Went to this gathering and they were very warm, genuinely glad to have me there. And, and we started talking for the next two or three hours about the existence and nature of God. Now I'm going to come back to the story in just a minute. But what they couldn't wrap their minds around was that phrase, for God so loved the world. And of course, the word world in the Greek is, is the word cosmos. It's where we get our English word cosmos or cosmos. And above the surface, the meaning is this world's system or this world's age, this world's way of doing things. But really, below the surface, it means everyone associated to this world system, the, the people who do it their way, that follow their purposes and plans for their own lives. In other words, Jesus didn't come into a world of Christians. He didn't come into a world that was filled with Christ followers. He came into a world that was broken, a world that was following its own pathway, its own systems or patterns of life. Jesus came into a broken world or a world of the walking dead. I know that's a series on television, The Walking Dead, and it's a series with these, these zombies. On the outside, they're alive, but on the inside, they're dead. Well, can I just be graphic and tell you spiritually, that's, what, that's the world that Jesus came into. We're alive on the outside, but our spirits are dead to trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 really talks about it in this way, if, if you're not getting the, the walking dead idea. And you, Jesus made alive, who were dead, spiritually dead, our spirit wasn't alive at that moment, sin had distanced us from God, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, this world's age, this world's system, the cosmos, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons and daughters of disobedience. We we weren't walking God's way. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires Of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others, but God. Oh, I love scripture because it always tosses out the negative idea of what this world looks like without God, but God, or for God, things begin to change, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love. Would you say it with me? His great love. Come on, say it again. His great love with which he loved us. So now we understand for God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. He so loved it. Don't miss that. He took love to a different dimension, it became greater love that surpassed, as Paul says, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of love. It was a, a great love, a greater love. He so loved the world. I'll never forget in that Freethinkers meeting, one of the gentlemen stood up and he, he looked at me and very poignantly said, If God would just make the sun stand still for one day, I would believe in him. I don't know if he didn't read the Old Testament. God had already done that. But I think what he was saying is today, I want to see him with my physical eyes. He was so encumbered by finding God in a test tube that he couldn't understand the greatest expression or dimension of God's love that could ever be witnessed in in life or in our world. It's the second part of of our verse. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. God didn't want to make the Son stand still for a day. He wanted to send Himself... (laughs) Into the world. He became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. The greatest expression of God's love that could ever be given was he sent himself into the world. What does that mean? What does it mean that God sent his only begotten son into the world? Here's what what I I think it means. Very simple. He showed up. He just he showed up. Have you ever been anywhere and you had an appointment with somebody and they just didn't show? They didn't come. That's not what happened here. God showed up. You see, to to the atheist and the agnostics, the fishbowl is a closed bowl. There's no opening. You look in the fishbowl and you've got fish and you've got colored rocks and you've got plant life in the fishbowl, but there's no opening in the fishbowl. The universe is closed. It's like we're in a washing machine and the, the clothes are just tumbling around and around and, and going nowhere. We're this conglomeration of molecules that somehow through random selection happened to accidentally connect together and bang, there's fish poop. Well, I, I have a huge question on that. I have, I have a, a big question with that. How did the fish poop get in the fish bowl? Did it just arrive accidentally and then it, it created... Algae and the algae produced oxygen, and the oxygen popped out a fish, and the fish popped out the poop, and the cycle. Go- How in the world did the, the fish poop get in the fish bowl to begin with? It's, it's like somehow the goo became you through the zoo. Every age. Tries to close the fishbowl. Every generation in society tries to close the opening of the universe. During the Renaissance, we tried to work God out of the picture. During the Age of Enlightenment, we tried to reason God out of the picture. During the Industrial Revolution, we tried to innovate God out of the picture during the technological revolution now we've tried to socialize god out of the picture and every generation we we try to move god out of the equation but how did the fish and the colored rocks and the plant life get in the fishbowl. Can can I give you the answer this morning? It's a a simple solution. There was an opening in the fishbowl for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't leave me abandoned on the doorstep of life to fend for myself. He showed up. He didn't leave me to walk according to the course of this world. He showed up. He didn't leave me dead in my trespasses and sins. He showed up. He didn't leave me as a son or a daughter of disobedience. He showed up. He didn't leave me identified in that group of the children of wrath. He showed up When I didn't know Whether to turn right Or turn left He showed up When I didn't know What to do and only He could do What he knows To do He showed up When I needed A savior He showed up When I needed A healer He showed up When I needed A deliverer He showed up When I needed A provider He showed up When I Needed a protector. He showed up. God showed up. And I'm telling you today, I get a little excited about that because I'm no longer dead on the inside. I'm alive on the inside. And sometimes my spirit man just wants to pop out of its chest and say, hey, God showed up. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Think about that statement. When God gave his only begotten son, he really handed Jesus into the hands of a deranged murderer. Humankind killed Jesus. We were the murderers. We were the ones who sent Jesus to the cross. We were the ones who were dead in trespasses and sins. And God knew in sending his son that we would crucify Jesus. And yet here's what God did. After Jesus was crucified, he invited us to pull up a chair to his table and become sons and daughters of God. (sighs) Think about that when we couldn't walk right or talk right or act right, he invited us to become an heir of Christ and a joint heir with Jesus. That's how much he loved us. Because of that, I've heard some people say, maybe you've heard this as well, that God loves us so much, he would never send anyone to hell. Anybody ever heard that? That he loves us so much that he would never send anyone to hell. Well, let's follow that thought through to its conclusion. All right? Hang with me. And I talk to the, to, to the free thinkers about this. Let's, let's follow it through to the conclusion. So you're in your home. This is very graphic, but someone comes into your home and, and kills you, murders you. The perpetrator, the violators fleeing, the police chasing, the police shoot the murderer. And so now within a matter of seconds, you and your murderer are standing before God. I mean, the the murderer hasn't even had an opportunity to get rid of his knife. You're standing facing God. And God looks at you and says, oh, I love you both so much. Just go right on into heaven. And the murderer looks at you and says, see you on the inside. It's not that God loves us so much that he won't send anyone to hell. It's that he loves us so much that he won't send everyone to heaven. Let me say that again. I want you to write it down. Get it in your heart. It's not that God doesn't love us so much that he won't send anyone to hell. It's that he loves us so much that he won't send everyone to heaven. God's justice demands that there is a separation between those who do what is right And those who do what is wrong, his love and his justice converge together to create the the personification of who God is. It's not that he hates people and he wants to send them to hell. It's that he loves people and he can't let every person into heaven who is dead in their trespasses and sins. In fact... Let me simply share it this way God loves us so much, not that He won't send anyone to hell, but that He provides a way of escape so we don't have to go to hell. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, third part of the verse, that whoever believes in him should not go to hell, should not perish. I remember talking to these free thinkers and we began to explore that idea and that option and and they, they kept saying to me, well, as a Christian, you have a crutch. Jesus is your crutch. And I began to talk to them about that idea, and I said, listen, let's, let's talk more about this. Your, your name, the, what you call yourselves, is the free thinkers, which means that because you don't believe in God, you say you don't believe in God, that means you can live your life any way you choose without strings attached. To me, that seems like a bigger crutch. (laughs) Think about it. If you don't believe in God, you can do whatever you want to do. You can live however you please, however you want. Obviously within the confines of of the law, but you can do anything that you want to do. If you're talking about crutch, you have the biggest crutch ever. Because you don't have to fall in line with anyone or anything. I committed my life to Jesus, which means my strings are all attached to him. His word, his ways. I'm following him. I'm giving him my whole life. Giving him everything. Let me help you to understand that idea in John chapter 1. Section John, subsection 1. Article 12, just a couple of chapters earlier, before John 3.16, here's what we read, and would you read it with me again? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, I love that word right there. Uh, one translation says power, but really the meaning of that is authority, authority exousia. God has given authority for us to become children of God. But there's two parts of the equation, believing and receiving. As I've traveled across the the country and around the world, I've asked that question to, to lots and lots of people. Where are you along in the process of believing in Jesus? I've had a few say, Well, I don't believe in Jesus. I've had some say, Well, I believe in Jesus, but he's ju- he was just a man. Most people, though, will say, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure what that means. And usually I say, Great, because you're halfway there. You believe, now you just simply need to receive him. Invite him into your heart, invite him into your life. Some people think that Christianity is so complex, but it's really not. It's as easy as as 10-year-old Ray kneeling down before God at my bed and simply believing in Jesus and inviting him into his heart saying, Lord, I believe in you and I, I receive you. I give you my whole life. I like to explain it this way. Robbie, lend me a hand real fast. Would you would you like a $10 bill? I mean, you could you can take your wife out. I mean, treat her to coffee with this this $10 bill. I mean, I just I'm feeling generous today, so you know, just just take that ten dollar bill and just treat your wife today. I hope you enjoy coffee and and all. So what's going to happen when Robbie takes Devorah, his wife, out for coffee and he tries to pay for it with a half of a $10 bill? Clerk's going to look at it and say, I'm sorry, we don't receive that. We don't take a half of a bill. And yet how many people want to offer this much to God? Here, God, spend me. Just take me and use me. And uh, here, here you go. Take me, God. And we give, we give Him half of our lives. We'll, we'll worship the Lord on Sunday, but do our own thing on Monday. We, we'll give Him half of of who we are. We'll, we'll look at Scripture on Sunday, but then we won't crack open the Bible or or pull it up on our phone any other day of the week. We, we want to give him just, just a few rooms in the house, but not the whole house. And yet, that's not what Jesus is asking for. He's asking for us to give him the whole bill, to spend the whole bill, not just to believe in him, but to receive him, to invite him into our lives and say, everything I am is yours. Everything I have is yours. God, I I give you my entire life. I want to just pause. I want to take a pause moment. Right now in the service, before we complete the message and go on to the fourth and final point, I want to take a pause message and I want to ask you the question that I ask people one-on-one. And that question is, how far along are you in believing in Jesus. Perhaps you believe in him, but you've never received him, you've never invited him into your heart, you've never said, Lord Jesus, come in, I give you everything I am. Or maybe you've believed in him and you've received him, but you know there's there's a separation between you and God because of sin. I like to tell people this, that you know, sin is really not a matter of goodness and badness. Sin is a matter of distance. We close the fish pole. We, we distance ourselves from God. We become dead in our trespasses and sins. We close our spirit off to God. Sin distances us from God. We may have believed and received, but if we walk away from him and do our own thing... There's a separation. Would you just bow your heads with me for just a moment? And I want to ask you today to respond. If you you need to receive Jesus into your heart this morning, you believe but this is the opportunity you know you want to take to invite him in, to give him the whole bill, the whole enchilada, the whole thing. Or maybe you've believed and received, but but it's been a while since the lines of communication have been open because you've been doing your own thing. There's sin that's separating you and God. I'm going to count to three right now, and I want to ask you just to lift your hand as a response of faith. Just just before God today, no one looking around. Number one, you know this is your moment. This opportunity is yours. Number two, this is your time to receive Christ or to ask forgiveness from the sin that's distanced you from God. Number three, let me see your hands right now. Thank you. Keep them up. Keep them up quickly. Over here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Keep them up, please. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Thank you, thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone in this place, what an incredible moment. Heavenly Father, would you pray after me now? Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I invite you into my life. I receive you. Forgive me of my sin. I I give you my whole life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me. Amen and amen. Can we give God praise this morning? I feel like when Ray left my house, I just started running through the house and shouting to the top of my lungs. I was so excited. I I think I, I received just a microscopic glimpse of what Jesus must feel when somebody comes to the cross. He gets excited because there's a commitment or an investment into his love, an impartation of his love, a connection to his love. So at the end of the meeting with the free thinkers, I decided to go back to Jeremiah uh, 29, 13. And I could just sense the Holy Spirit just, Hovering over that group it was, it was amazing here we're in this group and we're talking about the existence of God and I just I could sense the Holy Spirit hovering in that place and at the end I just shared the Bible says this that if you seek him if you seek after him you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and not your head. There was a young prof there from one of the universities. His name was Thomas. Imagine that. So Doubting Thomas was there. He had written a treatise on evolution. And I could tell not only did he believe in the existence of God, he was this close to accepting Christ, receiving Christ into his life. And I I looked at him and said, Thomas, you are so close to experiencing and encountering the living Christ in your life. Here is the amazing news for God so loved the world. The last part of the verse says, but have ever Lasting life. Everlasting life. Life that lasts forever. Did you know that our for God stopped time forever? I'm gonna say that again. Our for God stopped time forever. Life with him is everlasting. I I got up yesterday morning. It was my son Garrett's 19th birthday. We were having a birthday brunch for him, celebrating his birthday. I'm scooping some eggs onto my plate, and I just heard myself say to my family, where did the last 50 years go? Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought that? It's like, where did the last... 30 years of my life go? Where did the last 50 years of my life go? Or where did the last 70 years of my life go? I'm scooping eggs, thinking about where what happened to the last 50 years? It's because life is short. We're we're living on the edge of eternity. In fact, death plays a perfect game. One out of one dies can't change that, won't change that, but God changed that when he created everlasting life. Think about that. What happens when you reserve a hotel room? You call the hotel, you say, I want the hotel room on this day of the month. They write your name down, Reserve the room for you, you show up next week, next month, and if there are no mix-ups or mess-ups, you reserve your room today for tomorrow. Do you realize that's what we've done? By believing in and receiving Christ into our hearts, we have reserved our room in heaven. (laughs) The joy of our salvation means we have a reservation today for our eternal or everlasting home tomorrow. Jesus has already written our names in the Lamb's book of life and there will be no mess-ups or mix-ups because our reservation today moves us into our reservation tomorrow. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That where I am, there you may experience also. Everlasting life. So let's bring it full circle. What does for God so loved the world really mean? Let me identify it this way. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish. For God so loved the world that we may have everlasting life.